You're listening to episode 130 of the Tennis Files podcast. How to hydrate and prevent cramping with Andy Blow. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's best coaches, pros, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today I have a great episode for you on hydration and cramping prevention with sports scientist Andy Blow. Andy Blow is the co-founder and CEO of Precision Hydration. Uh, He has a degree in sports and exercise science from the University of Bath, and he is an, an expert in sweat and dehydration as well as cramping. And that is why I'm really excited to bring him on, especially with the Australian Open coming about and also just the really crazy wildfires that that have been going on, which is uh, unfortunate to see. Uh, it's going to be paramount that athletes over there and uh, really all athletes are making sure that they are properly hydrating and getting the enough electrolytes in their systems. And there's a lot of, for sure, misconceptions about how much we should drink before a match as far as water and electrolytes and, you know, sodium, potassium, all that stuff. And so that's why I brought on Andy to help us figure out, you know, how much we should be drinking of of different types of drinks, you know, before competition and days before competition and all that. Um, And in addition to the background that I gave on Andy. He's also an advisor to the Porsche Human Performance Center, which I think is really cool. He previously worked as the team sports scientist for the Benetton and Renault Formula One teams. I hope I pronounce those correctly. Uh, And he was also an elite level triathlete in his younger days. And we'll kind of learn how uh, Andy actually created and co-founded Precision Hydration uh, based on his struggles with cramping. And uh, he finished in the top 10 of Ironman and um, IM 70.3 races, as well as winning an Xterra world title, which is pretty sick. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's known as a leading figure in the world of sports hydration, and he's worked alongside a lot of other really uh, top-of-the-line experts in this field. And the cool thing, too, about Andy is that he's been on over 30 podcasts as far as my searching on Apple Podcasts, and you can find me there, too, of course, at Tennis Files Podcast. And so he's very well-versed in speaking, which is always a, a great plus, like on different platforms. And uh, a really cool thing before I start the interview off is that uh, Andy and his team were really kind enough to uh, give us uh, 15% off your first order of uh, Precision Hydration products. And I just want to say that I have actually uh, been using them and I found them to definitely make a difference in my game as far as my energy levels and uh, you know, make, having me feel good on the court and not really worrying about uh, any cramping issues. And so if you go to tennisfiles.com slash Precision Hydration, so that's P-R-E-C-I-S-I-O-N-H-Y-D. R-A-T-I-O-N. I'm glad I wrote that down and can read it. Uh, and then you enter in the code TENNISFILES in all caps. Then you'll get that 50, 15% off the uh, your first order. And I'll have all this on the show notes page at tennisfiles.com slash 130. And they're also really cool enough if you want to learn more about uh, you know hydration and cramping, um, they're giving you actually 50% off the Training Peaks University course, which is really fantastic. So you can go to tennisfiles.com slash training peaks, that's P E A K S, and use the code SWEAT H6YF, all in caps. 
So, all right. Well, I hope that you uh, enjoy this episode and take advantage of those uh, cool discounts that uh, Andy and the team gave out if you are interested. And um, with that, I would like to bring to you my interview with Andy Blow. Hey everyone, this is Mirbon. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm really excited to have a sports scientist and a really expert in hydration and uh, prevention of cramping, Andy Blow, on the podcast. He is the co-founder and CEO of Precision Hydration, uh, which are a fantastic uh, brand of of a uh, product that will really help you perform better uh, on the court and uh, in exercise and prevent cramping. And uh, special thanks to Chris from Precision Hydration for arranging to have Andy on the show. So, Andy, it's so great to have you on. Uh, we've got a lot of questions actually from the audience. So I'm really excited to speak with you. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. We're um, delighted to be able to come on your show. Thanks a lot, Andy. And so I want to kind of start off, and I know you've done, I think I, I searched on my podcast app and I saw you on about 30 or so different podcasts. Uh, so I just want to ask you, I know you've said this, uh, talked about this before, but can you talk to us about the problems that you had as an athlete uh, at a high level with cramping and hydration? Definitely. It was a, the, the reason that I started the company Precision Hydration was because of the struggles that I had as an athlete exercising in the heat. Now I, I wasn't a tennis player. I was a triathlete. So I know a lot less about the actual sport of, of tennis, but my, my struggles as a triathlete were, I guess, similar to what some tennis players experience with lots and lots of issues with cramping up and massive performance fade when it got really hot or really hot and humid. And it took me a lot of years to trial and error, frustrating trial and error to figure out that, a lot of those issues were basically down to the fact that I wasn't hydrating effectively for my body. I, I have a very high sweat rate and I also sweat out a lot of salt and I was probably over replacing water and under replacing salt and really getting the sort of the mixture wrong. And it was, it was ruining my performances. So Andy, a great stuff there. I was wondering, you know, and a lot of people actually uh, asked me this in the question section on uh, social media. Um, how do you actually discover whether you are a heavy sweater or maybe a not so heavy uh, sweater so that, you know, to determine how much electrolytes you need? Some of it's really obvious. So a lot of people who just, if you have a high sweat rate, in other words, you sweat out a lot of fluid in total, then a lot of people just know that because you're that guy that has to, I guess in tennis, you might have to replace your grips a lot and you get a lot of sweat in your eyes and it stings and that kind of thing. Then you know, you're soaking your shirt. If you've got a high sweat rate, that's quite, it's quite um, an easy thing to spot. The thing that's a bit harder to spot is how much salt you're losing in your sweat. And I originally found out because a friend of mine who was a doctor got me to go to a hospital and have a, a, a sweat test that was actually designed for the diagnosis of a disease called cystic fibrosis. And it just so happens that people with CF lose an uncharacteristically high amount of salt in their sweat. So some hospitals have the equipment to, to test for this. And he managed to kind of, he was a, a, doc, a, a surgeon at the hospital and essentially managed to kind of sneak me in through the back door and get this test done. And he said, I think based on the symptoms you're showing when you're exercising in the heat, I think you're going to find you lose loads and loads of salt. And sure enough, he was absolutely right. My sweat sodium score is really, really high as well as having a high sweat rate. And that was when the kind of light bulb went on for me. that This was an interesting thing. So actually testing the salt level in your sweat requires a little bit more investigation, although there are ways of, of kind of estimating it as well and we've got we've got a great blog on our website that i can send you a link to which tells you you know gives you some ideas of how to estimate if you're losing a lot of salt in your sweat and that that could be things like obviously visible salt stains on your hat or on your uh, kit and face after hot hot matches or training sessions it could be that your sweat actually tastes really salty and really stings in your eyes and and you could just feel like crap in the heat and often get muscle cramps all of those kind of things together they don't necessarily tell you definitively what your, the level of salt is in your sweat but they tell you whether it's likely to be you know high or not yeah thanks for that uh, andy and yeah it was very interesting as i browsed the uh, precision hydration website i noticed that 
Uh, I think you were the you are the heaviest sweater, about eighteen hundred milligrams per liter of sweat. Uh, while I saw Chris, on the other hand, who only sweats at uh seven hundred milligrams per liter. So what's the uh, what's I'm just curious, what's the highest uh, amount that you ever seen from an athlete? Yeah, good question. We've seen now over two thousand milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat. So that's like two grams of salt of sodium, sorry, in every. 32 ounces of sweat and at the other end extreme we've seen some down at 200 milligrams per per liter so 0.2 milligrams so 0.2 grams so we've seen basically a tenfold difference from the lowest to the highest and the average person loses about 900 to a thousand milligrams of sodium in every liter of their sweat mm-hmm. and uh, just curious you know can the sweat rate change significantly over the course of your life uh, maybe as you age or uh, or maybe through other factors it it doesn't appear to very much we we repeat test a lot of people mm-hmm. and it's a relatively stable number so once your sweat sodium concentration is is fairly it seems fairly fixed for you largely i think due to your genetics and the way your sweat glands work so i think my i've been testing sweat testing myself for probably getting on 15 or 16 years now and my number has not moved at all we've seen other athletes where it drifts a little bit up and down based on acclimatization to the heat or massive changes in their diet but but even those shifts aren't aren't going from really high to really low or vice versa they're just kind of shifts within a few percentage points so so it's kind of an interesting number because once you know it you know it and then the big variable is obviously sweat rate and how much you sweat which can change a hell of a lot because if you're playing tennis in Orlando in the summer versus playing in Northern California in the winter, there's going to be a huge difference in sweat rate just because of that environment. And that's the, that's the one that people are a bit more tuned into. Right, right. And uh, I, I know I'm speaking with other uh, sports science uh, experts uh, like uh, Jeff Rothschild comes, comes to mind. It sounds like you actually – sweat out more than you end up being able to replace in the the same time period is that right quite often yeah so so fundamentally you know you can sweat we work with some athletes and actually i've worked with a couple of tennis players who can sweat over three liters per hour which is a really high sweat rate you know so in in comparison obviously a very low intensity in cold weather you might barely sweat at all but three liters an hour is huge and your gastric emptying rate and your fluid absorption rate is probably going to max out somewhere between one and one and a half liters per hour. So if you're sweating at three liters an hour and only replacing 1.5, then you're going to always run a bit of a deficit. And that's not necessarily a, you know, a terrible thing. You, most athletes end about of activity more dehydrated than when they start and that's okay if they started well well hydrated and the degree of dehydration isn't too severe your body's designed to cope with kind of a transient level of of dehydration and trying to replace everything you're losing can be counterproductive because it it can make you sick but at the same time you have to meet a level of your that deficit otherwise you know your performance can really start to deteriorate mm-hmm. thanks for that andy and uh curious um when is the proper time to actually start uh preparing you know as far as hydration and prevention of cramping you know let's say we have a tournament a certain weekend at, at what point would you say should we start uh actively hydrating and getting enough uh, electrolytes in our body i think for most people the the perception is when you've got a big tournament coming up and especially if it's going to be in hot weather you need to start drinking lots and lots of extra water quite a few days out from that from that match and actually that's not true because your body's very good at balancing its its levels out and homeostasis works phenomenally well if you drink a lot more in the days building up to a match what will eventually end up happening is you just wee a lot more and you just dump a lot of that fluid so generally if you're keeping a really you know a a pretty good level of day-to-day hydration going then i think the only little bit of extra you need to do is maybe take one or two extra strong electrolyte drinks in the last 24 hours before the competition and that is that is enough to top you up and make sure you're you're fully topped up sometimes you also advise athletes to put a little bit of extra salt on their food or choose some saltier foods and make sure they're getting plenty of sodium in their system in the last 48 to 24 hours 
just to make sure they're not running a, a deficit at all. But other than that, you don't have to go go too crazy with it. Again, we've got a, a good blog all about how to start hydrated and prehydration and what it means, and and we can give you that a link to that for the show notes as well. Excellent, yeah, and we'll definitely obviously include all the links that we mentioned on the show today on the show notes page. Interesting. I'm I'm kind of browsing through all these questions that I got from listeners. I guess maybe let's go chronologically uh, uh, in a sense. So, I mean, we, we talked about 24 hours before uh, have it, intaking, uh, you know, one to two electrolyte drinks. And then how about the morning of a match? I mean, talk us through maybe like a typical, you know, pretty solid type of uh, intake and, and also if you want uh, nutrition as well. I, I would say fundamentally, if you've got a good if you've got a good pre-match routine going at the moment the only thing that we we would suggest people change initially is usually to switch out about 16 ounces of water or or sort of a weak sports drink or a dilute drink that they would normally have and actually swap in swap that in for about 16 ounces of a very very strong electrolyte drink and the type of strength i'm talking about is a regular gatorade or something like that that most people will be familiar with has around about 500 milligrams of sodium per liter and we would recommend having something like 1500 milligrams per liter so kind of three times as strong but a relatively small serving of 16 ounces and just have that in the last 90 minutes before you start to really make sure that you're fully topped up and what the salts doing that what the sodium specifically does is it moves from your gut into your bloodstream and pulls water through with it so you maximize absorption and then importantly it holds that fluid in your bloodstream so you you get expanded blood volume you don't end up just rushing to the to the bathroom to pee it all out right excellent uh, and you really appreciate that and uh so just to make sure i restate things correctly i mean should we increase our intake of water um you know 24 hours before at all ever so slightly i always think it's a good idea that athletes because you know, some, sometimes if you lead a busy life and you're training a lot it is possible to to run a little bit dehydrated some of the time and having an extra glass or two of water especially if you are feeling a bit thirsty and you're traveling and those kind of things on the days leading up to a competition is not a bad thing the problem with making suggestions for athletes to take more water on board is that there's there's this natural assumption that you know if i need to take more water then if one glass is is good then two will be twice as good and three will be three times as good and before you know it you've got people drinking liters and liters of water and actually there is a point and it, and it happens quite quickly where you get to a point where you get not only diminishing returns but you get you get negative returns because i heard on, on one of your um, previous podcast when you talked about the heat you know if you drink too much water and then especially if you go out and sweat you can actually become hyponatremic which is where you dilute the salt levels down in your blood so low that it makes you ill and that can be a very very dangerous condition and so i would always say to athletes yeah it's a good idea to top up a little bit with a little bit of extra water or a little bit of extra electrolyte drink before you're building up, but we're not talking about vast amounts more than you would have on a normal day-to-day basis. Great stuff there, Andy. And it, it's really illuminating to see that it really doesn't take drinking a ton of, you know, for example, a ton of Gatorade, a ton of water, just as, as much or as little as, you know, a, a couple, one or two glasses more of an electrolyte and of, of water to really make a huge difference there. One kind of maybe random question, uh, uh, Paul, he... He has found that magnesium topical oil has helped him a lot with cramping. I was wondering if you've heard anything about that and if that's actually effective. Yeah, I, I think magnesium. So, so the reason I think all of the electrolytes, particularly magnesium, potassium, um, calcium, uh, sodium, chloride, all of them, if you get an excess or a deficiency, can seem to be implicated with some people in causing or at least um, making them more predisposed to muscle cramping the the interesting thing is that through sweating we predominantly lose sodium so mm-hmm. you can't usually run a serious deficit of any of the other electrolytes purely through sweating so if people are finding that magnesium supplementation is helping with cramping it could be that there's a, a deficiency of magnesium in the day-to-day diet or they're not absorbing it very well and therefore that supplementation is correcting for that. But I would say it's unlikely to be making up for what they're losing in their sweat. 
because they're losing we're all losing you know really minute amounts of magnesium in our sweat for example interesting andy and and yeah along those lines can you kind of break down uh you know not super in-depth i guess but the different you know types of electrolytes and then uh i know you mentioned that sodium is the most important but you know maybe any other important aspects of them that we should know about yeah, I think what's important to understand that is in the body, you've got two major pools of fluid. You've got intracellular fluid, which is, as it sounds, locked inside your body cells, and extracellular fluid, which is outside the body cells, and a lot of that's in your blood. And the predominant electrolyte in intracellular fluid is potassium, and the predominant electrolyte in extracellular fluid is sodium. And the reason we lose so much sodium in our sweat is because sodium is... Yeah, is that extracellular fluid electrolyte and that's where our sweat is drawn from because your sweat ultimately comes from your blood plasma which is extracellular mm-hmm. fluid now potassium is high in the intracellular space so if you lose a lot of intracellular fluid for any reason which you don't through sweating but you can through other mechanisms then potassium supplementation or, or reinfusion is important but that's rare and actually if you take too much potassium in um, it can make you very ill because potassium is what heart surgeons will use to stop your heart you know during the heart operation so well, there was a case at, and it funnily enough it was a tennis player a number of years ago who drank so much coconut water as a sports drink that he gave himself a heart arrhythmia because it was so high because it was so high in potassium because because the the composition of coconut water is skewed very high towards potassium and low in sodium which means it's very rich in electrolytes but not in the type that you need when you're sweating so the, the other electrolytes, potassium, magnesium, calcium, and lots of others are very, very important, and they provide very vital roles within the body. But they, when we're talking specifically about sweating, the sort of emphasis comes off of them because we just we just lose them in relatively insignificant amounts, if that makes sense. And that makes a lot of sense. And I, I can't remember if that was on that triathlon show or another show because I do remember hearing you talk about an athlete – uh, maybe this is different. Who was taking supplements and they ended up having too high levels of potassium, causing them to have some issues. So I was wondering along those lines. I mean, are there any uh, specific supplements or or even foods that we should try to avoid that kind of um, cause or or help cause cramping? Yeah, I, I, it's a good question. I've been asked it a number of times, and I think I've found with some athletes that. And it seems to be really individual that there are sometimes foods that that can stimulate, if not cramping, then you know particularly gastrointestinal issues that that, that could be cramping. So not not muscle cramping per se, but uh, I know a lot of athletes will steer away from more fibrous foods when they're they're working harder or working out harder because they're harder to digest and and that sort of thing. So in, in essence, the I think the if the most important things when you're exercising hard to get into the body are some level of water and fluids to to start to mitigate what you're losing in your sweat, some sodium to go with that, and then some form of relatively simple carbohydrates. And you know, in endurance sports, we talk about athletes trying to aim for sort of uh, 50, 60, 70 grams of carbohydrates per hour if they're doing a long race and working out hard. And I'd imagine it's probably not too dissimilar for a lot of tennis players and you know in, in endurance sports we'll use a lot of energy gels we use a lot of energy bars and products which are kind of i guess in in one sense they would be labeled pretty unhealthy for the average person because they're essentially kind of a few complex carbohydrates and mainly a lot of sugars but when you're exercising or immediately before during and after when you're exercising you're burning carbohydrates very very fast they're just a quick easy digestible form and they they help to keep your muscles fueled, which also helps reduce the the risk of cramping, but basically just keep you you know keep you going a lot better. Excellent stuff, Andy. And uh, also, I uh, meant to ask you a question, uh, sticking in now about kind of your philosophy, uh, you know, through the years. I mean, is there any particular you know concept about hydration and cramping that? you used to have maybe as a triathlete that you kind of changed or even if it's recent, you know, that, that you've discovered that's been really uh, illuminating for you. I think for me, I, I have to put my hands up and admit the fact that when I was younger and I used to suffer a lot with muscle cramping because of this sodium imbalance, particularly with me, that was always a big trigger for it. And then when I found that taking additional salt for me, worked to cure the muscle cramps or at least stave them off massively 
then I became a bit of a, an advocate for that universally. And, and I was taking a lot of salt when I was racing, I, as it turned out, because I, I needed it. But I was definitely also kind of recommending that to anyone and everyone. But what I've what I've come to realize is that there are people, a lot of other people like me out there who benefit from either a very, very strong sodium-based drink, and that can help with their cramping or um, taking lots of supplementary salt. But I've also found that there's obviously people who are way on the other end of the spectrum who need very little at all. And taking too much salt and too much sodium and um, things can actually, if not cause cramping with them, certainly cause other issues and, and not be good for them. So I guess I've become more sensitive to the fact that, you know, there are kind of individual needs come into play. And that if, if your listeners and anyone you know interested in this subject takes nothing else away from it, it's the fact that this talk is the fact that hydration is very, very individual. Electrolyte replacement is very, very individual. And, and there is no one size fits all or one right answer for everyone. And I think if, if people can, can understand that, then that opens the door to them to rather than go looking for what the one answer is and ping ponging between all these different experts with way different opinions, it's actually to start investigating their own situation. Then hopefully they start to find out, you know, actually what works for them. Yeah, I really appreciate that because that's a, a very important concept to, to realize in, in many aspects of tennis, you know, whether it's uh, hydration or, you know, working out. I mean, there's no one workout that's going to help every single person achieve uh, what they need to achieve. And it's also especially important in this realm because it sounds like it could be dangerous to your health potentially. You know, like you mentioned, if you don't need as much uh, electrolytes and, and water and whatnot, and then you you drink too much of that, then there could be issues. Um, so I really uh, appreciate that. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you'll have. I'm sure you'll have um, come across and heard of, of Pat Cash in your yes. time in, in tennis. Yeah. And um, Pat has been a long time user of Precision Hydration and used it with a lot of his athletes. And I think primarily because you know he recognises that all of his athletes need different things. So he's got athletes who use the 1500 milligram products that we make, and he's got athletes that we use the 500 milligram products that we make, which are three times, you know different in strength and and so i think you know it's it is all about um, understanding and then deploying the right things for the right people to get you the most effective results and if any of your listeners have got you know stories about this or questions they want to ask us then if they email us at hello at precisionhydration.com we love to engage with people and you know see if we can figure out what's going on with them on a one-to-one basis we'd be we'd be very happy to field some some questions from them excellent really appreciate the openness of of you all and uh, i'm sure that's much appreciated and we'll have your email uh obviously listed on the show notes page as well so i was wondering uh andy what else contributes because i know a lot of people when they think about cramping of course, you think about um, your intake, but also, I mean, what other factors are there present um, in what we're doing or competition or otherwise that may cause cramping as well that we should look out for? I think the biggest one is lack of conditioning for whatever it is you're undertaking. So in tennis, that may, might be that your training sessions are only at 85% intensity and go on for 90 minutes but then when you get into a competition you you're at 95% intensity for two and a half hours or something like that so if you're if basically if you're not trained up to and maybe even above the sort of high high level of intensity that you're going to play at then that is a big red flag for getting cramps because cramps can be caused or contributed to by by fatigue in the muscles and in the the nervous system another one in tennis i think would be being not being conditioned to the surface you're playing on particularly if you're a bit more used to playing on a softer or more forgiving surface and then you're playing all of a sudden on a very very hard and fast surface things like that can upset your your rhythm and your and ask your muscles and your body to do things it's not used to and well conditioned for you know in in endurance sports and running and cycling and stuff we'd we'd liken it to you know going off at a pace that you haven't trained at and i think in tennis you know there's that there's that how you've got to be honest with yourself how different is the intensity and pace with which you're going at your hardest training sessions versus your hardest matches and if there's too much of a gap there then you're basically just not going to be conditioned enough to take it on mm-hmm. thanks for that andy and i heard on uh on another podcast that you did 
that uh, that you recommend things like massages and uh, and stretching and whatnot, and and that maybe muscle tightness could be a you know contributing factor. So I mean, I was wondering if you could talk more about that, and if if uh, I guess if that's that's accurate. Yeah, well, I think one of the theories around muscle cramping is that it's a protective function for the muscle. You know, if you're da- running the risk of damaging the muscle, one of the things the body can do is kind of tighten up and lock up the muscle to stop it doing any more damage to itself. And I think what that can then cause sometimes, I've always had persistent cramping. If I'm going to get it anywhere when I'm running, usually it's in my calf muscles. Mm-hmm. And and then that what happens is then when you get a bit of cramping there, you cause some muscle damage. And then you actually end up with slightly stiffer and tighter muscles as a result. And then you go and exercise again, even when you've fundamentally recovered and you've still got those knots and lumps and bumps of, of scar tissue in your muscles that then make it a little bit more likely you're going to cramp again. And it kind of becomes a horrible, vicious cycle. And I've, on a, on a totally personal level, I've found that having regular sports massage with a really good therapist who gets to know your muscles, as it were, with their hands, they can really break up that scar tissue, really work out the knots and, and get, get a bit more length and a bit more suppleness into the muscles. And whilst that's not necessarily going to cure the cramping, it makes it way less likely it's going to happen with the same frequency and intensity. So I'm a, I'm a big, big believer in that. Uh, I think that's it. And if you can, and I think one of the key things with that is getting to see someone who's good and someone who's, who you can see regularly. So they get to really understand your body. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com Excellent stuff again, Andy, of course. Uh, and, uh, you know, this might be getting, you know, pretty technical, but do you have any guidelines for us in terms of, you know, okay, we're playing a match and then we're, we're on a changeover. I mean, is there like an ideal type of, you know, amount or, or again, a guideline as to how much we should drink or if we should also like eat anything else? Yeah, I think tennis is an interesting one because you obviously get the nice regular, it's short, but regular breaks between games in which to refuel. And I think depending on the environmental conditions, my advice would be largely if it's hot and if it's very hot and very humid and you're sweating a lot and it's going to be a long game, I would say you want to be getting close to consuming the maximum you know, amount that you can you can comfortably between points, but without feeling you know, without feeling bloated and without sort of overriding your body's instincts. Because in that situation, the chances are if the match is going to go on a long time, you're going to be fighting a losing battle against, you know, dehydration, electrolyte depletion and and energy depletion. And so I'd have lots of little bite-sized carbohydrate kind of things to eat. And then I'd be having a strong electrolyte drink if you're losing a lot of sweat and also probably some plain water. And then it's a case of, listening to your body as it progresses maybe at first you're feeling like you want to you know just you want to drink the electrolyte drink because it's a little bit salty and it's tasting good but then later on maybe the water will taste a bit better and you listen to your body and you kind of tune in but you try and take in little and often as regularly as you can and, and never miss an opportunity to be refueling and rehydrating a little bit Obviously, that might change if it's in cooler conditions where what you don't want to do is is just keep drinking and keep smashing in lots of electrolytes when your sweat rate isn't high. And that's where an element of experience and intuition and learning to listen to your body comes into play. But I always find tennis a really fascinating one because unlike in an endurance event, you you sometimes or you often have no idea how long the game's going to go on or the match is going to go on. And then, of course, if you progress or not, you may have another match within that day or the, the very next day. And and so you've always got to be sort of thinking ahead for the, what's the worst case scenario of how much longer am I going to have to go and fueling and hydrating adequately for that. 
And uh, great stuff there. And so Aaron uh, asked uh, along the same lines again, kind of tips for adjusting from indoor to outdoor season and also maybe travel tips when changing environments. Uh, and I know you, you mentioned, obviously, we, we have to kind of uh, think for ourselves and adjust. But I mean, a- any other any tips uh, regarding uh, Aaron's question there? I think if, if you want some more general guidelines as to kind of what's low moderate and high amounts of fluid and that kind of thing that that might be useful to help guide people's thinking and i would say if we're talking about hourly rates of consumption i would say that if you're playing tennis at a competitive level especially indoors if it's if it's going to be warm in there um anything for most people anything less than drinking about 16 18 ounces per hour is probably really quite a low amount of fluid consumption but on the flip side anything much above 36 38 ounces 40 ounces maybe is is probably really really quite high and and i wouldn't advise many people to go over that so that's probably the the ballpark that you should be playing in somewhere between you know 16 and 40 ounces which is quite wide but but then you want to be adjusting that up and down a little bit based on your you know where you feel like you sit so if you know you're a big guy you're a heavy sweater you've typically had cramping problems and stuff you're probably going to start closer to the higher end of that and then maybe work your way down a bit rather than starting at, at the low end conversely obviously if you're a smaller person you don't have a visibly high sweat rate you don't seem to to struggle with that maybe the kind of 16 18 ounce range is, is a lot better for you so it, it does sound like me being a bit wishy-washy and vague, but because every person, every situation is difficult, it's just you've got to kind of use a bit of intelligent trial and error to, to figure that to figure that out. Yeah, for sure, Andy. Definitely, like you said, it's individualized. And uh, so a couple questions here from the audience again. Um, so Victor asks, can you tell uh, you know when you are starting to have uh, low blood sugar levels ahead of time at any point and, and kind of basically um, know that are there warning signs that we you can look out for to know that, oh, I, I'm going to be cramping pretty soon? I think, yeah, for, for me, with, with cramping specifically, I used to get the warning signs of, first of all, I would feel my muscles kind of feeling a bit heavier and like they were tightening up, you know, just like they were sort of getting a bit more solid, almost like someone's pouring a bit of concrete in there that's setting very slowly and that would always be a sign that cramping wasn't too far away. And then I would, then the, the first real sign is you get the odd little twitch or the odd little thing that feels like a pull. And then you're, you're very close to full on muscle cramping then. And, and I think if you have, if it happens to you a lot, you get better at spotting the signs earlier. And then the process that I used to go through, if I started to feel like that was I would, I would take a little bit more salt on board or I'd take a very, very strong drink on board. I would try and slow my pace um, which if it's possible in the you know in the in the game to slow it down a little bit and then if you get a chance to when you're changing ends or having a break actually stretch the muscles a little bit that are starting to to go then sometimes you can if you if you take those kind of pre, those kind of precautions then sometimes you can stave it off and actually work through it unfortunately once a cramp really hits it can be really really difficult to recover it quickly and then, of course, the, the the nightmare with tennis is it's such an explosive sport. You you are not fully in control of the speed of the play. And if you're playing against someone who's hitting the ball really hard and making you run a lot, then you are going to be moving around fast. And it's those explosive movements where you're a little bit predisposed to cramping up. But but anything you can do, like I say, to slow the pace, to get in control, to take some extra electrolytes and salt on board and give it a few minutes and see if you can buy yourself time to pull it back. That That's the kind of process, I think. Thanks for that, Andy. And and yeah, you you pretty much led into my next question, which is, I guess, a more emergency mode of, of the previous question, which is, I mean, so once a cramp actually occurs, let's say, you know, I'm playing and all of a sudden I get a, a Charlie horse, you know, uh, in my calf, uh, you know, what is the best course of action to give me the best chance of recovering? And I imagine it might have some of the similar things you mentioned, but please go ahead and let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think the first thing is is as much as possible. We all know that a good stretch kind of releases the cramp, and that that's got to be the mm-hmm. first thing you've got to try to do. And if you can buy yourself some time to do a proper stretch, if it's a calf cramp, you know, really try and get get some time to stretch it out and and loosen it off. Then that's your sort of immediate 
thing, then rather than what people, a lot of people I think do is they start to cramp and then they immediately massively wind up their fluid consumption, which can sometimes be counterproductive. What I would say is you want to take some extra fluid on board but mainly what you want to take on is some extra salt so that could be some some a saltier food like some pretzels or have something like that or a very very strong short electrolyte drink so we're talking about 1500 or 2000 milligrams per liter but just probably a few mouthfuls of it to start to see if that can can help you to manage it short term and if it's if that's going to help it will take effect reasonably quickly and you should start to feel benefits you know or not not quite immediately but but within a minute or two and if you're not then you've probably got to look elsewhere for what for what might help and and then like i say you're back into this thing of like can you slow the pace can you do some stretching and allow the muscles to recover maybe you might take on a little bit of additional carbohydrate as well see if you're running low on energy so a couple of energy gels and then you've then really what you've got to do is sit back let that stuff digest get in your system and see if it, it helps you over the sort of get get over the hill with it excellent stuff andy and yeah i can it's kind of a related question uh, i know you mentioned the the time frame of if you do those things it can help within minutes but i guess um you know from a scientific standpoint i was wondering well actually this is a question from lath is uh how long does it actually take the body to process or receive the benefits from from electrolytes or potassium pills or anything of that nature i think to absorb most things through the through the stomach through the gut into the into the bloodstream you're talking about you know maybe 10 or 15 minutes so that's why it's interesting that sometimes if you have a salt very salty drink or you eat some salt then it it seemed it can relieve your cramps a bit quicker and there's a bit of um scientific you know i guess um confusion or lack of understanding around why exactly that might be although it has been proposed that obviously in your mouth and in your throat you've got a lot of receptors for different chemicals and maybe that by stimulating those receptors and it's, they've proven it with carbohydrate you know if you even if you swish a carbohydrate drink in your mouth without swallowing it and spit it out you can often increase your pace when you're running because your brain sort of is tricked into thinking there's carbohydrate on the way so it takes the brakes off a little bit and i think it's not out of it, i don't think it's an outlandish thing to suggest the same could be could be said for salt so if you get something really salty tasting in your mouth and that helps your brain and body sort of be reassured that you're replacing some of that salt then maybe it can act a bit quicker than it it theoretically would because of the rate of the rate of absorption is a few minutes behind that mm-hmm. and so an extreme example of this is one of my good friends he tends to cramp almost every match pretty much and he'll sometimes on occasion experience cold sweats afterwards followed by the need to ingest a large amount of food and liquid. I remember one time I went with him and and drove him to an Arby's and he asked for six sandwiches, which is frankly disgusting. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) those roast beef sandwiches. But anyways, uh, Arby's fans, I hope you don't hate me. But what do you suggest, I mean, for people who have this extreme level of cramping? I mean, is there... What can they do? And also, is there any other maybe condition that they might have that that, uh, is causing all this? I don't don't know necessarily about any other specific conditions, but with with your example of your friend there, it sounds like when someone gets that sort of real primal drive to eat and drink a lot, then it can... And whether it's salty food or sweet food can can be significant but it's it's usually your body's just way of saying look i'm running a massive deficit of something here you know give me all you've got and give me everything you can and with him if he's craving really sort of salty savory food it could just be that he's really really depleted on salt i remember finishing um a long distance triathlon in nice in france many years ago in a really bad state where i'd overhydrated with water and underdone the salt and i was cramping and horrid and i woke up the next morning and it was i was the hotel i was in was next door to a mcdonald's and i just went in there and just ate packets and packets of french fries mm-hmm. because of the salt in them you know it's just that's just what i wanted and once i'd eaten those i felt about a million times better <laughs> So I think if he's if he's like really calorically depleted, you know, and, and glycogen depleted and salt depleted, and just if he's got the ravenous capacity to eat all of that food afterwards, then he's probably he's probably well certainly not replacing enough on the go while he's playing. But maybe he's even going into that situation a little bit depleted. You know, he's not carbohydrate loading before. He's not properly hydrating and and topping up his electrolytes before. And and so if I was working with him, that's what I'd be 
trying to find out and, and possibly trying to address is okay let's try and get in front of this problem so that you're not having to go and spend 100 bucks in arby's immediately after <laughs> each thing because that could be it could be expensive apart from anything else that is true and i'm surprised you had only french fries no big macs or anything that day I don't think so. I was just, I, you know how salty those fries are. I was just like, that's obviously what I was craving. They were just, they tasted amazing. You know, they <laughs> like, I was just stuffing packet after packet of them. Yeah, they know what they're doing over there, but yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, So uh, this might be uh, kind of fun uh, for the audience and hopefully for you, Andy, but I was wondering if you could rank these these hydration methods on a scale of, of one to 10. So I'm going to just yep. name four of them uh, right now. So uh, first off is pickle juice. It's a, it's a tricky one. I mean, I would say people think it's crazy. Some people think it's crazy. Some people swear by it. Latte, I would yeah. give it. I would give it. I would give it a four out of ten in mm. the respect that it's not. It doesn't do nothing. That's for sure. It's a very very high dose of sodium. If you take a pickle juice shot, there's a lot of sodium in that. And if you wash that down with an appropriate amount of water, you're not creating bad, a totally bad chemistry in your gut you know to absorb that and, and rehydrate if you're but it but it's only going to work if you're super salt depleted it's also a little bit risky because it's a hell of a hell of a strong shot of that stuff and it can make you it can make you feel sick if you're not careful so that's why i wouldn't give it any more than a four but it's not a zero you know there's a bit of there's and and, and it works for a lot of people so i can't i can't knock it completely I appreciate that. Yeah, I definitely got quite a few questions on pickle juice, so it seems like it's kind of gaining steam, but it's it's really uh, appreciated that you kind of clarify the uh, pros and cons of it here. So next is a mustard packet. Yeah, so the theory with this one is that really that's not going to do anything for your hydration, but it, what it can do is essentially, they think, is stimulate these TRP receptors in your esophagus that then cause the nervous system to to um, relax and stop a muscle cramp and i've heard lots of different competing theories with that i've tried that type of thing myself and it's never worked particularly well it's usually just made me feel very sick so i'm biased on that but my my belief on that one is that i give it a one a one it's wow. high risk low reward you know generally mm-hmm probably mm-hmm. there'll be people out there that'll argue with me on that but i've seen too many people be sick trying that one all right i believe you with <laughs> your background of <laughs> course uh next uh dry london gin no i'm totally kidding no no not that uh next on the list is uh salt pills so again a bit like the pickle juice i think these can work and i'd give those a bit of a higher rating than pickle juice maybe a seven because if you if you use them appropriately, if you dose them with the right amount of water and you understand how much sodium you're taking, they're just a very, very convenient and simple way of getting a high dose of sodium in quite quickly. So um, I would say, you know, use used correctly, quite a good tool. Got it. Perfect. And uh, one very widely used here, uh, Gatorade slash Powerade. It's... Uh, <sighs> always tough because Gatorade, Powerade, they're fundamentally, they're about, they're, they're about refueling with some carbohydrates. So they're like six, 7% carbohydrate solution, a little bit of sodium, obviously a lot of water. They're kind of a generic catch all, you know, if you're, if you're in a state where you're, you know, a bit glycogen depleted, a bit low in salt, a bit dehydrated, they're going to taste great and they're going to perk you up. But I would say for the, for the average tennis player, they're probably a little bit they're too low in sodium and too high in sugar to be truly effective, you know, for hydration and cramp prevention. So Gatorade Endurance is a little bit better, but that's still only 700 milligrams of sodium a liter. You know, the one that we use most predominantly with tennis players in the heat would either be our 1,000 milligram per liter product or 1,500 milligram per liter product. And both of those, if you have the one with sugar, they have about half the sugar of a Gatorade. So... I'm going to give them, you know, like a, uh, I give them a seven out of 10 as well, but they're not, they're not the be all and end all solution. I don't think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great stuff, Andy. Appreciate that. And, uh, you know, with that, I want to talk a bit about precision, uh, hydration. And I want to start off by saying, uh, that I actually last night played, uh, doubles, uh, pretty good training. Yeah. And I, I actually just took the 500. Um, but I did notice uh, that an increased uh, amount of, 
performance actually i don't know if you know because there is some carbohydrates in this as as well and so i did feel like i had more energy out there actually and obviously you know no issues cramping or anything and i look forward to to also doing some more testing especially when it gets hot out here Uh, and when i go to orlando uh in a in a week i'm going to test it there too but i want wanted to ask you you know what type of products you have uh at precision hydration we we keep the product stuff pretty simple really we do we do a, a zero calorie effervescent electrolyte tablet line, which is a bit like um, you're probably familiar with a noon or something like that, which is yeah. a, a tablet mm-hmm. you drop in. And we do we do ones that have 500 milligrams, the one that you tried um, yesterday. We do ones with 1,000 and we do ones with 1,500 milligrams of sodium in. We also do a, a very similar composition, but in a packet of drink mix, which has 500, 1,000 or 1,500 milligrams of sodium, but it, but it also has carbohydrate in there. And the, the easiest way to describe that one is if you took a Gatorade and kind of mixed it 50-50 with water, which is what a lot of athletes do to make it less syrupy, and then added in double or triple the amount of electrolytes, that's what you end up with. So it's a hypotonic sports drink rather than an isotonic one. And there are two predominant product lines. And, and really, there's no we don't try and sell them on the basis of any magic or rocket science in there. It's just salts, sugars, and water in the right proportion to, to match what different individuals' bodies need. And the best way to, to try them out is actually like you've been doing is kind of you know, have a go with them. You use some intelligence to know whether, you know, if you're a big sweater and it's hot and you're cramping a lot and stuff, you're probably going to go for the stronger ones and drink a bit more of them. If you're, playing in in more temperate weather and you're just just working out moderately then try a weaker one but by doing a bit of trial and error with them you can often figure out you know which is the best for you essentially and 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 um you know hopefully hopefully figure it out from there we also for people who are really seriously interested we do we do a sweat test and we have different sites we have a number of them in the us now where you can go you can actually we can we've got a machine that can take a sweat sample from you in 15 minutes and it can analyze the salt concentration and really help you dial in your your needs and we've we've tested you know we've tested a lot of up-and-coming young tennis players at the orlando um us um tennis center and, and places like that as well as, as well as athletes in other sports and if people are, are dead serious about that then they should hit our website and see where the nearest test center to them is now awesome great stuff and you know what i what i'm always impressed by in products is if they're they're healthy and they're, and they're natural and things like that. And I noticed when I uh, had, you know, this this uh, drink here, the Precision Hydration 500, uh, you know, it didn't taste like it had a bunch of sugar and junk in it and everything. So I was wondering if you could kind of just go through the ingredients and, you know, the the purpose of them. Yeah, the the, the packets that you tried, the, the, the PH 500 really are a, a very, very simple you know, simple composition. They, like I said, they're mixed up to be, um, when you mix them up with, you put one packet in 16 ounces of water and it mixes up to be about a 3% carbohydrate solution. And essentially what we've got in there is we've got sodium, potassium, calcium, and magnesium. We've got sugar and we've got a little bit of fruit flavor. There's no, um, there's no colors or additives or anything Mm -hmm. like that. They're, as I say, there's not this not rocket science. It's it's a little bit of carbohydrate, the right levels of electrolytes, and and a little bit of fruit flavor just to take the edge off the saltiness, and then that's it. So so very simple formulation, basically, just what you need and nothing that you don't. Perfect stuff. And uh, like I said, you know, I really enjoyed it, and uh, you know, I like to try things before recommending them, and and I definitely do recommend that you all. Uh, try this product out. It's it's really great, and I commend Andy, you know, for creating this this uh, product line here. And uh, Andy, a couple more questions. Just let me know whenever you have to speed off. I know that you have to see your family soon, which is uh, always priority number sure. one. Um, but I was wondering, uh, what are maybe three books or resources that you'd recommend that we should check out to learn more about hydration and prevention of cramping? Uh, we have i would say if if people want a really big overview it's it's a little bit skewed towards um endurance hydration but there's a lot i think you could take away from it from hydration in, in general for athletes we've got a course an online course which is hosted by a company called training peaks out of um, boulder in colorado and it's it's available on our website you do have to pay for the course to do it but it's quite in depth and i can we can create a code for your 
listeners actually to to give them a, a discounted access to that and that would be a great place to start if you really want to go in depth with it Thank other you. other than that i would say that um the well it is a bit of a shameless plug but our blog on our website is incredibly in depth with hydration advice and it's keyword searchable so if people want topics uh, that want to discover things about topics like hyponatremia or cramping or whatever there's usually a, a pretty well researched blog that we've put together on our website for that if there's one little resource that i think would be worth athletes reading there's a fantastic paper all about salt in the athlete's diet it's actually called the importance of salt in the athlete's diet and it was written maybe about 10 years ago now by some researchers in the us and what i can do is i can share a pdf of that article with you and you could make that i i you could probably make that downloadable with the podcast and that again would be a really really good place to start on understanding this topic overall because i think that's a fantastic piece of work wonderful love it andy uh and where can we learn more about precision hydration um easiest place is obviously just precisionhydration.com we are we're very open to being contacted there's myself and a, a small team of sports scientists who work with with me and the company and we we respond to all the emails that come in ourselves so if you email hello at precisionhydration.com you'll get an answer from a, a real human being um you can follow us on twitter we're at the sweat experts or on instagram and facebook we're at precision hydration and again dm us ask us questions through our social channels and we'll we'll do our very best to get back to you we love we love getting in contact with people and hearing you know questions from the field excellent stuff i I, I guess I'm too nice. I want to maybe sneak in this question real quick that I just saw from from Matt. Uh, is there any genetic predisposition to to cramping? I th- I don't. I can't categorically say that there is, but I certainly think that certain people are way more um, predisposed to cramping than others. In my family, my dad, my brother, and myself are all particularly prone to muscle cramps during exercise we all also happen to have pretty high salt loss in our sweat so whether it's that rather than the a a specific genetic component towards cramping that that precipitates it i don't know but what i would say is that some people some people certainly for whatever reason are way more likely to cramp than, than others and it's not always just in specific muscle groups so i used to obviously do triathlon and would cramp doing a triathlon in my legs i took up kayaking and i went and did a, a big um, open water kayaking race or surf skiing race in dubai in in the middle east and it was super hot and on that i got cramp in my forearms because of holding the paddle so it seemed to be more that my body in general is going to cramp you know if it if i overheat and sweat too much and, and working too hard and it's not tied down to a specific muscle group so that's a long-winded way of saying to Matt's question. I think yes, probably there is, but I don't. I don't know exactly what it is, other than there seems to be a trend with people who lose a lot of sweat and a lot of salt. Right, and then I just imagine to combat it, of course, you have to adjust, you know, your intake. Um, and uh, is there a certain part of your body or parts that we should just keep in mind? And actually, I don't even know. You know, like, is there any way that we can know which parts of the body will cramp and then? you know accordingly kind of try to prevent those areas from cramping i think past experience is a good is a good indicator mm-hmm. uh, one example as well which is probably less applicable at the very high level but was definitely applicable to me say as a as a kayaker because i was not an expert kayaker i was learning and one of the ways in which i reduced the cramping in my forearms was i learned to grip the paddles a lot less hard because when you're nervous and when you're learning and when you're new to something you're often over tense and over over sort of activated and i would imagine you know in tennis for instance if you've got someone who's getting cramps in their in their forearms or shoulders or lats or something then thinking about how hard you're holding the racket and thinking about relaxing we definitely see a lot more incidences of cramping in any sport when people are competing versus when they're training and i think part of that is is the is this is the out and out physical intensity of it but some of it is the psychological anxiety as well so I think if you can learn to to approach things with a more relaxed mental attitude, that's usually pretty good for all aspects of your performance and game, but could also specifically help with your cramping as well. 
Great stuff. Yeah, I, I generally cramp in my calves, but I remember one particular tournament, I actually cramped in my right thumb, and that was because I was gripping my yeah. racket way too, yeah. uh, you know, tightly, and then I had yeah. had to actually go to a nearby water fountain to unjam it. You know, it was pretty yeah. <laughs> pretty strange. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely yeah. When you start to kind of yeah tense up, that can that can make it way way worse. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so, Andy, uh, you know, great advice here. You've given us a lot, but I, I always ask this one question, which you you know you might have heard before. But uh, I just want to close with this, which is, what is one key tip that you can give our uh, give our audience to help us improve our hydration and prevent cramping? I would say I've I sort of said it before, but I'll say it again: mm-hmm. treat yourself as an individual. No, don't just follow any generic advice or copy someone else. Figure out what your individual electrolyte and fluid needs are going to be, whether they're low, whether they're medium, whether they're high or very high, and then play around and experiment in that space and close yourself off to what other people are doing because that's just noise. You need to figure it out for you, for yourself as an individual. Awesome, Andy. Well, I want to acknowledge you for the great work that you've been doing in the uh, sports science space and for creating uh, you know, fantastic line of products. And I uh, really appreciate all your knowledge and you know, spreading the word, really. I mean, like I mentioned, you know, in around 30 or so that at least that I've seen podcasts, that's wonderful. And uh, it was really a pleasure to have you on and really appreciate all your work again. And thanks so much for coming on to the show and hope to speak with you again soon. Yeah, thank thank you for the the invite and for also yeah for sharing sharing this information. It's it's down to podcasts like yours that we're able to to get out and talk to people. So we we really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Andy. All right, I really hope that you enjoyed my interview with Andy Blow. Uh, Andy, thanks to you and also Chris from the team for uh, making this interview happen. I really do appreciate it and definitely learned a lot of interesting things about hydration. Uh, it, it, it seems like you don't necessarily have to really uh, gorge yourself on as much water and, and uh, electrolytes as you may think. Um, but nevertheless, we still do have to pay attention um, when the competition is coming up on getting enough electrolytes and, uh, and water. And uh, definitely, I hope that you took some notes from this interview. And uh, I, I really did enjoy uh, all the great advice that we got here from from a, a big expert in the field and Andy. So I uh, appreciate that. Um, I also would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast because that, uh, of course, helps the show in the sense that uh, through the, the crazy algorithms of Apple Podcasts and, and other podcast apps you know the more subscribers that a show has the higher it's listed and so more people will see it so that's just the net benefit in terms of i mean if you think that uh these podcast episodes are are benefiting you then it's gonna help a lot of people um you know more people will will see it uh higher up the chart so that's always cool and appreciated if you would subscribe uh also want to leave you with a quote as i often like to do at the end of the show And this one is by Bob Marley. And Bob said, you never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. Really love that quote. All right. Well, I thank you again for all of your support. And I just hope that you keep pushing to make yourself a better person and better player every single day. Just take it day by day, small improvements, and employ what I uh, have heard termed just-in-time learning. So you really want to focus on what it is that uh, perhaps is a weakness in your game or in your uh, your life, and then find resources to help improve that. You know, for me, I found that it's actually my habits and also nailing down the consistency of waking up early. And so I've been reading books on those two things, Atomic Habits and Miracle Morning. And that, of course, translates, you know, throughout the entire day in terms of productivity, in terms of having enough time to do more things like play tennis because you've done your work earlier in the day and all that. So, uh, yeah, just try, try to really, really commit, you know, identify what's going on and then commit to improvement and keep improving every day. And I, I know you can do it. And, uh, you know, we're all capable of really powerful things, 
uh, really amazing things, uh, more so than we thought possible. And you know, it, it's good to think of 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 your your true potential. You know, like one day meeting the person who you can become, the best tennis player that you really can be. And when you think about that, it's much easier to say, "Hey, you know, I, I'm not gonna." Be wasting my time too much on other things. I have a lot of dreams about what I can achieve, and why why be regretful in the end? You know that you didn't achieve it when you you could have. If you just put in a little bit more work, you you just ignored certain distractions. You watched a little less TV. You watched a little less YouTube, and uh, you know it's not easy. But um, just just try to try to really reach for for those goals of yours and make sure that you're really happy about uh, the effort that you put in. So, all right, that is my sermon for the day. Uh, It's all truth, and (laughs) I hope that that motivated you. And I, again, thank you so much for all of your support. Uh, I I saw a ton of downloads for uh, Emilio's episode last week, and uh, that was was great to see. And let's keep it going. Of course, and uh, thank you. And any any questions that you have, uh, please let me know. And uh, just email me at mirabont at tennisfiles.com. And I'll also include um, a bunch of other links and uh, I think uh, even an email to, um, to ask questions uh, from Andy. And I think you can actually do that at info at precision hydration. And, uh, and again, I'll have all the links at tennisfiles.com slash 130. So have a great day, week, and I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is Mirban signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit tennisfiles.com.